On today's show, the Hawks get a fourth consecutive victory, but it was not easy. It went to overtime. Steph Curry had 60 points for the Warriors against the Hawks in this game, but they made plays down the stretch. Trey Young was fantastic. The centers were great. DeJounte Murray in crunch time, and everything broke well for the Hawks at the very end of this game. We'll get into all of what transpired, what it means, this winning streak, and much more, and all of that is on the way. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1645 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you late into the evening on a Saturday evening into Sunday. And today's show is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, which is the most qualified candidates that you want to talk to. Helps you to do it faster as well. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash NBA. Terms and conditions apply. Also, I should encourage you at the top of the podcast, as I always do, to make us your first listen each and every day. Please subscribe to this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Overcast on the audio side, as well as YouTube on the video side. It's been a very busy week on this podcast. I did a two-part episode with my friend Andrew Kelly on Thursday. We had a game breakdown yesterday on Friday night into Saturday morning, and then today we'll have the entire podcast focused on what became a very, very good win for the Hawks, 141-134 to in overtime against the Warriors, Atlanta's fourth straight win. I have done this a little bit jokingly in the past, about the Hawks going on a winning streak right before the deadline. In some ways, have that changed their mind potentially about selling off parts for this team, buying in. It's happened in the past for the Hawks. That's certainly a possibility as they're playing now their best basketball of the season by a wide margin, I would say. And they're now, yes, 22-27. No one's excited about their overall record, but four wins in a row at this time of year is certainly interesting. They're back to almost full strength. They were down with Sadiq Bey in this game, but still, the Hawks played very well, and they overcame a really an otherworldly effort from Steph Curry in this game, but um, only their second... Time this year, the Hawks have won four games in a row, and the first time since basically late October, early November. So it's been a long time. This is a this is a very crazy, interesting game. Again, Steph had 60. That would have been the building record at State Farm slash Phillips slash the Omni until literally eight days ago when Luka had 73 points. And it was the second highest scoring game of Steph Curry's career, which tells you all you need to know because he's a first ballot Hall of Fame kind of guy. Also the fourth overtime game of the year for the Hawks. So craziness there. These teams met like you know less than two weeks ago in San Francisco when the Hawks lost by 22 points to the Warriors. Granted, without Trey Young, but still coming off that game, they led most of the way in this one. They had to come back low late in regulation after Curry went crazy down the stretch. But then DeJounte Murray tied it at, not necessarily at the buzzer, but four seconds to go in regulation to force overtime. And then the Hawks opened overtime with an 11-0 run, including seven in a row from DeJounte. And despite the back-to-back, it was actually a, an advantage for the Hawks in this game because the Warriors played last night as well, it had to travel from um, Memphis to Atlanta. And after all that, the Hawks are actually favored in this game, which is going to sound crazy because the Warriors are the Warriors, but they're not that good this year. But, you know, they're a 500-ish team, um, even with Curry kind of doing this. We'll come back to it more in detail later on, but I'll just say this to start this sort of breakdown of the game itself. It was really a total team effort from the Hawks and a total team win for the Hawks in this spot. Again, they missed Sadiq Bey in this game, his first missed game of the season, and only the eighth of his entire career here in year four for Sadiq, so he's been very, very durable. The Warriors were down some guys as well. Four of their top nine or ten guys were out in this game. But the Hawks had seven players score 13 points or more. Probably the best combined center play of the year from both guys. Capella and Okongwu were both excellent in this game. 
They had 39 points and 31 rebounds combined at center for the Hawks in this spot. Trey had 35, despite the Warriors throwing the kitchen sink at him in the second half of this game. DeJounte had the biggest shot of the night to tie the game in regulation and had seven points in a row in huge fashion in overtime. Bogey struggled for the most part, but had a couple of big shots in the second half. Joe Johnson was involved in the, in the game and some of the biggest moments at the end of the game as well. So it was uh, across the board and it was enough in the end for Atlanta. I'll go to the offense first. It was a 122 offense rating in this game for the Hawks, including overtime. The overtime period did help that number because the Hawks scored 18 points on 11 possessions in overtime. That's always very nice. They shot the, they only shot the ball like league average in this game. It wasn't like they had a great shooting night. 48% from the field in this game, and then they were 14 of 43 from three-point range, and they kept making it hard on themselves from corner threes. I've said this a lot in the last couple of weeks, but the Hawks just cannot seem to make a corner three right now. Usually those are advantageous shots, easier shots, higher percentage shots, but the Hawks were 4 of 17 on corner threes in this game, and they still won it. Um, not a huge free throw game on either side, um, but the Hawks did a very good job on the glass in this game, especially the centers. Um, 72 points in the paint for Atlanta in this one, but the biggest single number on the team side for me in this game, other than the, you know, the balance, all the individual stuff, the Hawks only had eight turnovers in this game in 53 minutes. So eight turnovers in a regulation game is a great, great number. Throw an extra five minutes on there, and eight turnovers is absolutely fantastic. And uh, they ended up with a slight advantage in the possession battle in this game, which isn't going to do everything for you, but in a game this close, it is definitely helpful to take more shots than your opponent, and the Hawks did that in this game because they rebounded well, and again, took care of the ball at an elite level, eight turnovers in the entire game plus overtime. Defensively, honestly, it was really good, I thought, for the Hawks in this game. That's going to sound crazy because Steph had 60 points. I get all that. Lots of points for the Warriors, but by the end of the game, the Hawks had about a 115-ish defensive rating, which is already fairly solid. And we'll get into it in a second. Steph, I'll just say this now. Steph Curry was absolutely ridiculous in this game. And I know this is a Hawks podcast. I won't spend much time on this uh, on, on this on this show, but I covered the whole league at different outlets for Dime, Sportsline, etc. I have an appreciation for basketball. Steph Curry was utterly ridiculous in this game. And yes, the Hawks could have guarded him a little, a little bit better at times, for sure. But he had 60 points on essentially 40 possessions. So he was incredibly efficient. He hit 10 threes. He was unstoppable at times. And he's, a, again, a Hall of Fame player. And you, tip, you have to simply tip your cap at some point to Steph. So it's there's nuance there. This is a professional basketball game. Like, there's stuff that you can do, take the ball out of his hands. But I, I have to say this and sort of emphasize it. It's going to sound crazy to some people that the Hawks played well defensively in this game. But they actually did. Steph is just that good. If he, if he was just merely mortal in this game and had 45 points... The Hawks would have won this game comfortably. If Steph wasn't completely ridiculous, this game would have been not particularly close at the end. But he was, and the Hawks had to push them all the way to the, you know, all the way to the end. But I wanted to at least leave with that because, again, I thought the Hawks played pretty well defensively in this game. The Warriors attempted 56 threes. That is their second most of the season. And Steph had 23 of those. Um, the rest of the team, uh, yeah, they were, the rest of the team other than Steph was 8 of 33 from three. So you'll take that, obviously. They made 18 threes, but it's easier to accept that when they shoot 32% from the three-point range. Again, like, what are you going to do about Steph? But the Hawks did the following. They won the turnover battle. They won the glass. They won the free throw line. They won the battle of points in the paint. They won the assist battle. You do all those all those things at the same time, you're going to win more often than you lose. And the Hawks did that in this game. The Warriors don't run a ton 
They're not, they're not a super fast-paced team at this point in time, more of a veteran squad, obviously. But the Hawks did a much, much better job in stopping transition in this game than they have in the last few games. It's been a notable problem all year long, but especially the last few games for the Hawks. It was way better in this game. And aside from one stretch from Lester Quinones, who was a un, not, not, not necessarily unknown, but certainly little-known player um, off the bench, he had a couple of big shots in the first half for the Warriors. Aside from that, unless it was Steph, the Hawks did a really good job. Kaminga was fine. He fell out in this game. Um, Pajemski was pretty good on the glass for the Warriors, especially as a guard. But generally speaking, Steph almost won this game, not by himself, but you know, you know what I mean when I say that, almost by himself. And he had a shot in the air, I will say, to win the game in regulation. The Hawks could have lost this game in regulation. That, that certainly was close to happening. But put that to the side, defensively, they were pretty good overall. I really believe that. If you watch the game back, I think you probably will buy that in too. Um, they threw a lot of stuff. He did a good job. Um, you know, even DeJounte, as we'll talk about later on, had kind of a rough offensive game for most of it until the very end where he took over. But Quinn Snyder said this, and I and I certainly agree. It takes a lot, a lot, a lot of energy to be the primary guy on Steph as DeJounte was throughout the game. And yeah, he obviously didn't stop him because nobody stopped him in this game. But that's kind of part of the calculus. You have to give a little bit of grace there about DeJounte's poor shooting for most of the game because he was having to bust it defensively all night long on Steph. So throw it all in there. The Hawks played really well in this game and uh, a nice win. I'm glad they were rewarded for that. Four in a row is uh, is certainly not like a landmark stop the press stuff, but they are looking better. They're playing better. They're winning home games, which we're not able to do for most of the season so far. And yeah, it's certainly fair to say they're 22 and 27. Don't get too excited. I certainly would agree not to get over exuberant about this run, but they're playing better and they're playing quality basketball. And again, it matters that they're close to full strength. That's certainly part of the calculus here as well. All right, we'll get into all of kind of how this game unfolded in a second. And there's a lot to get to about the regulation, crunch time, and then overtime, etc. That's all coming. But first, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. Today's show is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the roles that you have to offer. And that's why LinkedIn Jobs is the place you have to check out. They have the tools that you help you help you find your right, right professionals for your team faster and to do it also also for free, which is a very important part of the calculus. I've been on the hunt for hiring people in the past for my day job a few times before, and I've always used LinkedIn Jobs, and it's been a huge making my process the entire time so much easier and much more efficient. That saves time and effort along the way. They know at LinkedIn Jobs, small businesses often wear a ton of different hats and might not have time or resources to make the hires that are so easy to do. At LinkedIn, though, they're not just another job board. They have a vast number of more than 1 billion professionals, which is certainly huge, making the best possible hire, and they give you access to professionals that you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn also does all of what you're looking for, making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is much, much easier when you have that many qualified candidates. It's so easy that 86% of small businesses also get a qualified candidate within 24 hours at LinkedIn Jobs, and they have ways of making the process easier for you. They even launched a feature just now, recently, that they have actually helps you write your job descriptions that makes the process even easier and quicker to deal with. Two and a half million people and small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring, and you can post your job for free by going to linkedin.com slash LockedOnNBA. One more time, that is linkedin.com slash LockedOnNBA. Terms and conditions apply. This segment is brought to you by our sponsor, BetterHelp. Sometimes we only need the opportunity to get something off of our chest. Big or small, certain things can really start to get to you. It's important to let that stuff out, especially to someone who is unbiased in your life. And so today, I want to tell you about something that I feel strongly about. You might even be thinking about the same thing that I am right now this week. And that is that I have some fear about the trade deadline in some respects. Now, that sounds funny, but it can go any, any, any direction. I'm talking about whether it's the right set of moves, of course, but also I'll, I'll be able to handle it quickly enough on the podcast, get the, get the stuff out quickly and 
be accurate and be analytical, etc. It's a whole batch of worrying for me. Of course, it's not the most intense thing in the world or life operating topic when it comes to therapy and therapy can be different for everybody. Most of us, including me, have much, much, much bigger problems, of course, than stuff involving sports. But it is quite important to get things off our chest every once in a while that we need to. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try right now. It's entirely online, designed to be flexible and suited to your schedule. And the place to go is betterhelp.com slash locked on MBA. You get 10% off your first month with BetterHelp. That's betterhelp.com slash locked on MBA. One more time, the place to go is betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash locked on MBA. All right, and a lot to get to on the game flow in this one. I'll be a little bit judicious when it comes to the first three quarters because there's lots to get to late, late in the game. But uh, Garrison Matthews started this game, which was kind of a surprise. Made fans upset. I understand that on the surface a little bit. It happened because DeAndre Hunter is restricted when it comes to minutes, and they like to have Bogey in his bench role. So I don't care about lineups much, starting lineups, I should, I should say. So it didn't really bother me, but that's why that happened. It's not every day you see a guy go from a DNP on Friday to starting on Saturday, but the combination of Sadiq Bay getting hurt, Wes Matthews being unavailable in this game, Hunter being on the restriction, and they like to have Bogey in that bench roll. But in the end, Garrison played 16 minutes, Bogey played 38 minutes. So like that's kind of more indicative of what actually matters in this spot. As I said before, Dejounte had a Steph assignment for the, pretty much the entire game when they were on the floor together. That's kind of how it has to be with the Hawks right now. They don't have a lot of guys to throw at Steph. Unless you want to go to like Trent Forrest, but other than that, it was kind of Dejounte's show. And he was certainly giving effort on that end of the floor in this game. Jalen actually had three great assists early in, in the game right in a row. There was one lob to Capella, then there was a rebound and a dime of an outlet pass to DeJounte, and another spin move to find Capella for a bucket. And Clinton was very productive in this game. Eight of the first 12 points. Capella, as I'll talk about more later on, ended up this game with 17 points, 15 rebounds in limited time. So he was really, really good in this one. There was one nice run for the Warriors late in the, uh, late in the first quarter to kind of force a timeout from the Hawks. Nine guys played in this game um, the entire way. Uh, Patty Mills played only in the first half, but uh, the other eight guys, as you might expect, played. It was, you know, Kongwu, Hunter, and Bogey off the bench, plus Patty. Uh, back and forth late in the first quarter. There wasn't a ton of fireworks until Trey had a pretty difficult three late, late, late in the first quarter. And then Lester Quinones, who I mentioned earlier, made a half-court shot, basically, at the buzzer that would have been... Uh, Notable, especially if the Hawks had lost this game, because that was one that you, you can have to circle in a close game. They could have at least tried to make him catch it, at least in some of the rhythm, but it's still a half-court shot. You don't want to contest it too hard, and he made it. So that was uh, certainly uh, up and down, we'll say. And the Hawks were actually down by five points at that point. Uh, after that, though, every other quarter was tied. So the second quarter, the Hawks won it. But they were tied at the half, tied at the end of the third, tied at the end of the fourth, of course, and they won the game in overtime. Um, that I thought, and I think Tyler Jones, my friend on this podcast and other places, said this too. I thought the Hawks did miss Sadiq Bay physicality-wise, especially in the first half before they, before they got settled in a little bit. They're just a little bit, not necessarily smaller lengthwise, although they are. Bay's just a very like bruising physical presence that the Hawks kind of used, uh, kind of could have used, I should say, in this game. Um, and I thought the officiating was pretty loose in the first half, which probably didn't bode well for the Hawks, considering they didn't have Bay and the Warriors are a little bit more physical in general. The Hawks had their big run in the middle of the sec uh, second quarter to take the lead, a 10-0 run where they had four stops in a row. Uh, they actually used Capella and Okongwu a lot together in this game and very effectively. They were plus six in that stretch of the first half. I asked Onyek about that and after the game. He said he liked it a lot and they want to use that more often. Um, it's not for every matchup for sure, but it certainly worked in this game multiple times. Um, they were up five and then the Warriors ended the half well. Steph hit a couple of Steph shots as he did the entire game. 
They were tied at halftime despite, uh, by the way, Click Capella led the team in scoring and rebounding in the first half. 14 and 11. Very, very productive. But very, very even overall, which is, of course, the theme of this game in general. The Hawks did lead for the vast majority of the second half. So the first half, it was pretty close. The Warriors actually had a bigger lead at one point. After halftime, it was mostly Hawks. Um, the Warriors did change up their rotation. Trey Jackson Davis, who's actually a rookie, did not play at all in the first half and then played nine minutes in the second half because he was sort of their uh, emergency second big because they were playing so small early on and getting beaten up by Capella in particular before halftime. They played Onyeka and Clint together way earlier than usual in that third quarter and played them for like four and a half minutes actually with Jalen, so they were as big as they possibly could be. The Hawks, you know, Jalen, Onyeka, and Clint is a massive front line that was playing out there. Um... They had a little bit of a lull after Clint came out of the game in the third quarter where the Warriors had a big run. Um, they allowed a bucket on a second chance point right after that. And then Congo had a pretty aggressive and kind of bad closeout on Steph for four-point play. But in general, like the, the non-centers for the Hawks were not great on the glass in this game. They allowed a lot of the Warriors guards to kind of get in there a lot in offensive rebounds. They had 14 in the game to the Warriors. And um, only one of them came from their starting center, which is Draymond. Uh, offensive, offensive rebounds. They had two for Kaminga, one for Steph, two for Looney, who's obviously a center too, so I guess three for centers, but uh, four for Quinones, two for Pajemski. It was a little bit weird on that front. Um, the Hawks were actually up 11, sorry, they were up uh, up by some manner of distance the entirety of the, fourth, of the third quarter, except for the final few seconds, basically. They had one point, though, in the last three minutes of the, of the of third quarter, and that kind of uh, certainly bit them a little bit. In the fourth, they were, again, up the entire way for the most part. Um, there was an early timeout from Quinn with some frustration that he certainly wanted to share defensively. Um, they did get some stops after that, which was nice to see. They played um, Capella for one more stint with Akangwu and Jalen. Trey sat for 23 seconds in the, in the fourth quarter and overtime combined. He played 42 minutes in the game, and it was a very, very, very brief rest. They did close with, with Akangwu in this game. Which was the right move, I thought. I didn't. I don't, I don't think it was, it was as clear as it was on Friday, where it was like very obviously the right thing to do. But he gives them more flexibility on offense. The Warriors are playing smaller, and that was the that was the right call, I thought, in this game, despite how well Capella played. So did Onyeka, he was really good in this game too. They were down by a little bit after a 7-0 run by the Warriors in literally 35 seconds, because Steph scored five points in a row in Curry fashion. And uh, after a timeout, the Hawks turned over again, did Murray, and the Hawks were down five after that 9-0 run by the Warriors. Bogey had been really bad until then. In fact, Bogey and DeJounte in the full game had really rough numbers. They were actually combined 14 of 40 from the field and 2 of 16 from 3. Those are the Hawks' number 2 and number 3 scorers, basically. But late in the game, they both came alive. Um, Bogey had his stretch. In the fourth, where he had six, six points in a row after he'd been brutal to that point. That was huge to take the Hawks from down five to up by one. Then Steph kept coming, though. He went crazy. He had eight points in a row. He had 17 points in an eight-minute period. It was just bucket after bucket after bucket. Bogey then scored, though. He was in his hot stretch at that point. I'll fast forward a little bit now. Uh, Jalen missed a wide-open jump shot at the free-throw line to go up to actually take the lead with two minutes to go. But Steph did finally miss one, fortunately. Um... You know, it is what it is. Um, he, but he made the next one over a Kongwu. It is, you know, back again, back and forth again. Curry did have a three uh, sort of rattle out at the very end of the game. I thought I thought he made in real time. Um, Trey got fouled, made both free throws, tied the game with about a minute to go. And then late, late, late in the game, Murray actually missed a wide open catch and shoot three with about 40 seconds to go. 
It was actually a great pass by Jalen, a, a bullet across the court. A great look from DeJounte. He just didn't make it. And then Steph got to the middle, makes a floater, and the Hawks are down two with 14 seconds to go. As it was happening the entire fourth quarter, basically, Trey was being double teamed and sometimes triple teamed. They were face guarding him. Um, as many joked, including me, the Warriors were treating him like an all-star. I know he's not an all-star right now, but that's not a treatment that you see for many guys in the league, and they were guarding him like he is Steph, basically, and that's what happened. Um, but Trey found Jalen, got into the paint. He kind of hesitated in a scary way. He seemed unsure of himself a little bit, but he, he managed to find Murray. Murray made the 15-foot jump shot to tie the game with four seconds to go, and he had been, again, like Bogey, shooting the ball very poorly until then, but that was a big shot. And then at the very, very end of regulation, Steph gets around the corner, misses a floater that he makes a lot. He missed it, and the Hawks dodged that bullet, and they get to overtime where they kind of took things over. So other than an incredibly long review after a challenge in overtime, when Trey drew a charge, again, he's been very good at doing that in recent days, um, that slowed things down a little bit, but the Hawks scored the first 11 points of overtime. Akongwu scored first, then Jalen, and then seven straight for DeJounte Murray, who dropped a too-small gesture on Pajemski on a three-point play. Murray, again, just to throw the numbers on this, according to Bogey as well, that, that both guys were struggling. Murray had been 6 of 19 from the field in the first 47 and a half minutes of the game. And then he made four straight shots in a row. Uh, the, one in, the one in regulation to tie the game, and then the first three shots of overtime. Huge stretch. It should have been over at that point, honestly. And they were in control, but the Warriors did kind of come back. Steph hit two more threes. It was actually within five at one point in overtime, a little bit close for, too close to comfort. Um... You know, the couple of uh, missed opportunities to kind of end the game for the Hawks. But then the final dagger was a Jalen Johnson and one with about 20 seconds to go, to go up by eight. And that was going to be the end of that. So, obviously, I could have spent way more time on the on, on, on regulation and crunch time. The Hawks executed well. Steph, you know, didn't miss a couple shots, mercifully, because he had been crazy good, um, including the one at the buzzer that would have won it. But, um, you know, offensively, the Hawks did a pretty good job, I thought, down the stretch, honestly. You know, Bogey had, had his best stretch. Um, you know, Jalen kind of got bailed out a little bit by DeJounte, but it was a big shot by him. Trey made free throws. Like, there were not a lot of mistakes offensively from the Hawks. When, when they didn't score in regulation and overtime, it was good looks not falling. Like, the Murray won on the catch and shoot. Bogey had one that was a good look. Jalen had a good look at the free throw line. Like, no really bad possessions, which is good progress for this team. So, I'll stop there for now and just say, they closed well. I mean, again, it, it was a back-and-forth game. The final margin of being up seven was not really indicative. This is a game that went to overtime for a reason. It was that close of a game. But the Hawks stole it. They got out of there with a win. And uh, we'll have more on the individual stuff in a second when it comes to a, a really imp impressive and intriguing game for most of the guys who played in this spot. But anyway, I'll stop now and just say one more break from our sponsors, then we'll come back with more on the players in this spot. Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, and happy Super Bowl to all who celebrate with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Super Bowl Sunday is now upon us. We're actually a week away as I'm recording this podcast. It's all about scoring the best seat on the couch or at the party or wherever you like to watch football, grabbing your favorite snacks and drinks and food across the board and placing super, super bets as well. And look, beyond the, beyond the diehards, Super Bowl Sunday is a big game event. It's really a national holiday at this point. Even the most casual fans are invested. It's also a great time, though, to dig in at FanDuel because there's lots of stuff to consume and analyze and bet on across their platform. The app is safe and secure. And even beyond the NFL, they have all kinds of other stuff as well. Basketball, as you might expect, baseball, hockey, golf, center, uh, sorry, soccer, tennis, auto racing, MMA, boxing. It's all there for you at FanDuel. 
And there are so many ways to end the season with a W or two Ws, three Ws, etc. And not only can you bet on who's going to win the Super Bowl, but they also have bets on which player is going to score a touchdown in the game, how many points will be scored, all kinds of player props and game props, and so much more. If you're a new customer, join up today at FanDuel. You get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more happens to win. And the place to go is FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Make every moment more with folks at FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. One more time, it's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. All right, and to the players in this game, nine guys appeared. Patty Mills, weird game for Patty. We'll start there. Seven minutes for Mills, all in the first half, and he did not record a stat. It's actually kind of hard, and I'm not being funny about this, to play seven minutes in the NBA and not have a stat. So he was plus six, so it was like he killed them, but no points, no rebounds, no shots, no free throws, no assists, nothing. I will say I, I don't love the Patty DeJounte minutes in general, um, only because like if you're going to have Patty out there, I think he needs to be part of the offense and like shoot the ball more than zero times. But it, it worked in this game, so I'll leave it there. And they didn't go back to the second half. That was the right decision. Go back to eight guys. Uh, but sort of you know, plugging in extra minutes with, with Hunter limited, not the worst idea in the world, and uh, it worked out okay for them. DeAndre Hunter, uh, I thought if there was a single guy that like didn't really do much, it was DeAndre Hunter. And I don't mean it in a negative way. I don't think he looked particularly comfortable. This is the first game, sorry, the second game back after the injury. He played on Tuesday, sat on on Friday on the back-to-back. That was not a huge surprise. You, you don't generally want a guy to play back-to-back if he's coming back from the injury. And he was obviously very limited minutes-wise. Um, but, you know, he, he kind of landed funny a couple times. Not like he was trusting his knee all the way. And at least this, that's just my opinion. Watching him also missed three, three free throws in this game. Six points, one rebound, one steal. He got to the rim a few times, which is good to see. because it, it, it was at least attacking, but um, not his most comfortable performance. I think he'll obviously get more reps under his, under his belt after sitting out for so long. So I'm not worried about it, but he wasn't particularly good in this game. I didn't think he was the only guy on the Hawks roster other than Jalen, who was actually in the minus in the plus minuses in the spot. Um, Bogey had a weird game. I said it before, but he has this game with 13 points on 5 of 16 shooting and 2 of 10 from 3. So that alone, plus some not great defense, as Bogey is wont to provide, it looks kind of like he wasn't very good. And I certainly have to agree with that on the whole. But like DeJounte, we'll talk about in a second, he saved his best for last. Bogey, I think, had at least eight of his 13 points in the fourth quarter and overtime. So he was really good late, a couple of big shots, um, a three, three-point play, etc. four assists, two steals. Um, he, was, he didn't kill them by any means. I will always say this about Bogey. He has to be guarded in a way that you cannot ignore him, which always helps even if he's, if he's sort of missing shots. Uh, Akongwu was excellent. So I'm talking about the centers now, kind of back-to-back. Onyeka closed the game, 36 minutes for Akongwu in this one, 22 points, 16 rebounds for Onyeka, and he was really, really, really awesome, I thought, late. I'm looking at something right now to make sure I'm not crazy. Um, but anyway, as far as the stats are concerned, that tells the story, 22 and 16, two blocks, plus nine. He was six of eight on twos, two of four on threes in this game. Got the line four times, made all four. I asked him post-game about him playing with Clint Moore, and he said he likes it. He said he does sort of let it fly more as a shooter, and he's always encouraged by his teammates to let the, let the shots fly in general. It was not a career high in rebounding, as I was sort of checking that now, but um, obviously close to that. One of his best games of the season, for, for sure. I'm not sure if it was absolutely his, d- definitely his best, but certainly high on the list. And uh, he was an excellent anchor, finished around the rim. I don't want to be, you know, you can't be too effusive. I thought the center play in general was awesome. And he played more than Clint did. But go to Clint Capella now as a starter, 17 points, 15 rebounds, two assists, 
plus four, eight eleven from the floor. You know, Clint didn't really have any of his trademark, you know, misses around the rim in this game. He had one bad turnover for sure that did happen, but man, he was really good. He was really attacking combined the Hawks centers. 39 points, 31 rebounds. That is excellent. So it wasn't like sometimes there's an indictment of either guy where it's like such e- it's an easy call. Like you, you got to close with Clint, close with Onyeka. In this game, it was just about the matchup. Lacan was a better matchup, but they were fine either way. Like those guys just played great and they were a huge, huge part of this victory. Um, elsewhere, Garrison Matthews was fine. Eight, eight points, three rebounds. He actually drew uh, at least one charge defensively. He was always sticking his nose in there. He certainly is a physical player. Um, one of four from three. They actually missed a couple of good looks in the second half, but uh, eight points plus 14, three minutes. Sorry, three rebounds. He was rock solid. After not playing a lot last night, that was certainly big to have some quality minutes there. Jalen Johnson, an interesting game for Jalen. I don't think he was that good, honestly. And I say that hilariously because he had 21 points, 13 rebounds, and 8 assists. So, like, you can't fake that. That's obviously very impressive. Defensively, he was hit and miss. I thought he was okay. Uh, had a block shot. Um, offensively, he was 7 of 14 on twos. That's totally fine. 2 6 from 3. He wasn't super efficient. He was more aggressive than usual, but some of those, like, he was kind of pulling up short on some of the shots. So I'm nitpicking a little bit on purpose because the expectations are so high for Jalen, but he was really good at times. Um, mixed bag overall, like he was probably like a C plus. It wasn't like he was his, his absolute best, but it stands to his talent that a C plus game from Jalen was 43 minutes and then those numbers in the counting stats. So he was obviously very productive and closed the game well. Um, DeJounte Murray, I said it before, but like he had a rough, rough offensive game for three and a half quarters. And, and when it mattered, he made all the shots, which is all you can ask for. 19 points. Seven assists, five rebounds. He was 0-6 from three and nine of 15, no, sorry, nine of 18 on two. So not efficient, 19 points on uh, 24 shots. But again, he made the biggest shot of the game for the Hawks, the game-tying jumper um, to force to force overtime. And then you could say that the three shots in a row that he made in overtime were high on the list too. Like if you rank the 10 most impactful shots in this game for the Hawks, Murray had four of them. So it came up big there and I will give him kudos he didn't stop Steph. It's going to sound hilarious that I'm saying this. I'm not trying to go out of my way to defend him, but like Murray did a comp, a competent job on, on Curry. It's just that Curry was that good. So we'll leave it there for now. Wasn't his absolute best game by any means. He was struggling off on offense for most of the night, but big stuff at the very end. And then Trey was excellent. 35 points, six assists, drew a charge, had a steal. He was five of 10 on twos, but of seven of 11 from three in this game. In the last two games, so the back-to-back, 33.5 points, 10.5 assists, 63% from the floor, 64% from three. That's obviously very good, and uh, coincidentally, that came right after the uh, all-star snub. He's also made six threes or more in three straight games, so uh, Trey's been just locked in. Awesome. Uh, Passing-wise, like not his absolute best. He had six assists. That's like a pretty low number for him, but um, yeah, I mean, he was really good in this game. Most guys were. He made big shots, made free throws at the end to kind of clinch it. And the war, if you got to, I would recommend watching the end of the game. The Warriors were doing what they, what a lot of teams have done in the past, but they were treating him like they were going to let anything happen other than Trey beating them. And Trey got off the ball, made the right passes, and then Jalen and Dejounte and Bogey made the plays at the end offensively to put the game away. So I'm done. I'm done on that on sort of uh, the full scale rundown of this game. I could have gone another 20 minutes, but I will uh, intentionally not do that. On this, on this fine evening, but a nice win for the Hawks, certainly. Uh, a long game, a long night, a long weekend. They have one more game on this on this homestand. By the way, they play again on Monday against the Clippers. The Clippers are very good, so that's an, a very interesting challenge, um, especially since at least it's not a back-to-back for the Hawks. 
The Clippers, by the way, are the three seed in the West. And I believe they have, if not a top, a top number one offense, but certainly a top five offense in the league right now. Um, it hasn't happened that much this year, I have to say. But the Hawks have another rest advantage, actually, on Monday. The Clippers play on Sunday in Miami. So that's a good spot to end the, to end the homestand. It's obviously a tough game in a lot of ways, but maybe I'll get a, a less than stellar effort from the Clippers on the end of this. And people keep asking me this. I'll just say this. I don't know if this is going to change the way the Hawks do things in the front office. I've said before, I'll say again, that in the past, they have pivoted based on results near the deadline. That's been admitted on the record by, by, by wrestler. This is obviously a few years ago now, but that's happened. Um, they could reasonably believe right now that they are the favorite to be at least the nine seed. They're half game back of the nine seed right now. And most of the time in the new landscape of, of the play-in, teams don't really sell when they're in the play-in mix. And the Hawks are, again, because the, the Bulls don't have Zach Lamine anymore with the rest of the season. He actually is now hurt. They're probably the favorite to be at least the nine seed. And that's not impressive, but certainly that's different than where they were four games ago. So we'll see if that affects things. They have another, This is a big week coming up for the Hawks, obviously. They have uh, two more games before the deadline, Monday and Wednesday. Deadline Thursday, game on Friday, and then we'll talk about all that stuff all the way around. And it's a good time at the end of the podcast to remind you and to beg you, I suppose, to subscribe to this podcast. Smash the subscribe button, the follow button, anywhere you get your podcasts. Apple is a subscription. Spotify is a follow. I know YouTube is what it is, you know, the likes and all that stuff. But please, please, please do what you can to support the podcast and spread the word as well. That's also huge in addition to subscribing yourself. Find your Hawks friends and family and share the podcast with them as well. Follow us on Twitter slash X at Lots on Hawks. Follow me there as well at BT Roll. I write about the Hawks as well at patreon.com slash BT Roll. And also share some audio from press conferences and stuff like that on Patreon as well. So that's a good place to kind of get your extra content around the Hawks. And I'm grateful for listening to the podcast. I apologize if I was ranting and raving on this podcast, but it's a late night and a long weekend. But hopefully you appreciate the content. Um, as far as schedule-wise schedule is concerned, I will have a podcast at the very least after the game on Monday. Maybe something in between there if something else pops up. But this will be sort of the second one of the weekend and obviously like, like the sixth show of the last week or so. So very busy, but stay tuned. Subscribe to the podcast, and we'll see you at the very latest after the game on Monday.